Welcome to the fifth episode of the Resistix podcast. My name is Callie, and I am a female engineer. In case you're new here, I hope to change the workplace environment to be more supportive and inclusive of a diverse workforce. Today's episode is focused on the idea of searching for the right answer. There was a news segment a while back about who young girls and boys identify as being smart. A study was conducted in which five, six, and seven-year-olds were told a story about someone who was really, really smart. They were then shown a set of pictures with both men and women and were asked to the point to the person who was the really, really smart person in the story. The five, six, and seven-year-old boys selected their own gender, the man, to be the really, really smart one around 70% of the time, no matter their age. The five-year-old girls selected the woman to be the smart person 69% of the time. That's about the same as the boys at age five. But the six-year-old girls selected the woman to be the smart person only 48% of the time. And the seven-year-old girls selected the woman 54% of the time. The study shows a very interesting change for girls that does not happen in boys. Five-year-olds seem to have a bit more confidence and positive image of their own gender, but by age six, something has changed with the girls, which could be related to negative opinions of themselves or their gender. The author of the study, Andre Chimpion, does highlight that we need to be careful with how we interpret this. We do not necessarily need the girls to change and always select their own gender as the smartest, and we don't always need to make the girls act like the boys. In fact, a 50-50 response of the men and women being really smart is probably a more realistic and positive situation. So this study mostly just highlights an interesting difference between young boys and girls. This was a thought-provoking story to me for obvious reasons, but it made me think about two really big things. One, I have always said that I personally am not that smart, I just work hard. And tasks that require someone to be really smart scare me, and I often don't take them on. And second, it brought up an interesting thought when I tried to analyze why it happens. Yes, it very well could be due to a change in positive image or attitudes. We all know how bombarded we are daily by social media and TV and social norms. But maybe there's more to it. I remember one young girl in the video really struggling with the task of selecting the really smart person in the story. She even said something along the lines of, I don't think the story tells me enough to know. They asked her to take her best guess, and she ultimately pointed to the man. And that struggle made me think, what was going through her mind as she puzzled through to get an answer? Well, in general, girls like following the rules. Girls like right and wrong answers, and school is a place that clearly defines both of those. At age five, kids have barely started school and may offer a more genuine and innocent answer about who they think is really, really smart. But by ages six and seven, they've spent some time in school and have learned that there's probably a right and wrong answer to questions asked by adults. So I'm curious if the six and seven-year-old girls identified women less Uh, as the smart person, because they wanted to get the question right. Obviously, this is still an issue, that they might think that the correct answer is the man. But it might highlight that at a young age, girls want to get the right answer, rather than saying what they might actually think. Now, on to an adult example of searching for the right answer. 
I like school and I'm good at school. There's a clear path to getting a good grade and I know what is expected for a certain outcome. It feels equitable and like there's a right answer. So when I felt like I wasn't succeeding at being an adult professional engineer, listen into the three-part Startup Saga series released in previous podcast episodes for details on why I didn't feel successful. Um, But when that was happening, I did what makes sense for the school environment. I went and asked the teacher for help. And the teacher in this case was both my boss and my coworkers. I wanted to know how I could get better. I wanted to know the right answer. I have to be honest, most of the feedback and advice I got was not very good. So I'm going to go through a list of the top five worst pieces of advice I've been given over the last couple of years as I searched for the right answer. Number one, be more confident. I get this one a lot, but telling me to be more confident is like telling a fish to walk on land. It's going to take some time. For me, confidence comes from experience, and experience takes time. I do think I'm growing in this area, but it's not a switch I can flip on. Number two, wear red. This one kind of goes along with the tip to be more confident. A guy I worked with was trying to tell me that I needed to have more presence, make myself known, and show what I have to offer. He told me to wear red because it looks strong and people might take me more seriously. The worst part is, I actually went out and bought some red pants. Number three, maybe you need to just go work for a woman. This one was a huge punch to the gut. I had been trying to explain to my last boss some of my concerns and frustrations and goals for how to get the workplace to change. He was a 45-year-old upper-middle-class white guy. He had a really hard time understanding or relating to being a minority. I had many conversations with him about the data on women and how it related to me, but it was hard for him to get it. It was hard for him to relate. Well, one day I was explaining to him my expectations for an equitable work environment and clarity in my role, and he came back with, I don't know, maybe you just need to go work for a woman. I literally collapsed on the inside. I looked at him and said, that statement means you don't get it. And then, about two minutes later, after I picked my stomach and lungs up off the floor, I said, and also, I don't have that privilege. Where am I going to find a female boss in engineering? Number four, leave your computer on all the time to make it look like you work 80 hours a week. So this one relates to a big difference in generations. A guy I used to work with does this. He leaves a computer on all the time and doesn't let it sleep, so that it looks like he is always working. He probably actually puts in about 30 hours of time in the office, and of that, maybe 15 to 20 are working hours. This one bothered me for two reasons. One, I don't like lying. Uh, And two, I think we should be evaluated on the quality of our work, not the number of hours in the office. So I didn't follow this piece of advice. Number five, wait it out. This one really sucked. During one of my first conversations I had with my last boss about women in engineering, I brought up the statistic that nearly 40% of women in engineering leave within the first five years. His response was, well, more women are getting engineering degrees, so even if 40% leave, over enough time, there'll be more of you. Right, right. So instead of helping retain women, let's just wait it out. Face palm. (laughs) 
Normally, I struggle with responses when I'm shocked, but something came out of my mouth before I could even think. I said, right, by that point, I'll be dead. Although some of those conversations were very frustrating to have, in hindsight, I think they were very valuable for the men I worked with and for me. In order to fix this problem, we need to understand each other better. And to do that, we need to talk. And now for the best advice I ever got and what I honestly believe is the right answer. Surprisingly, it didn't come from my middle-aged male colleagues. It came from an article I read titled, It's 2017, Why Are We Still Telling Women to Act Like Men? I happened upon this article at a really critical point. I was dragging, probably at one of my lowest points, feeling isolated, feeling like the workplace wasn't equitable, feeling like I was talking to brick walls when trying to explain these things to my boss. I honestly read the article and took a breath bigger than I had in years. Finally, the advice wasn't to change me. The author of the article and a new book titled Own It, The Power of Women at Work is Sally Krawcheck. I haven't read the book yet, but the article captured everything I needed to hear. On the first episode of this podcast, I highlighted the fact that having a diverse workforce helps companies out-innovate and outperform companies without diversity. A line in Sally's article, the one that let me breathe again, was, the power of diversity in driving business results is, wait for it, diversity. It's not bringing together a bunch of people of difference and training them to behave the same way. The advice that I so often get is advice that help men or attempts to fit in with the men. It is not advice that helps me. So you should check out that article. I have a link in the notes section. I plan to read the book and I'm sure I'll bring it up on future episodes. All right, now for a little segment I like to call Small Moments, Big Impacts. For this topic, I'd like to talk about something that happens so often we don't even think about it eye contact. While I was at my last job, I had the weirdest thing happen to me, and it's a moment that still sticks with me. If you tuned in to my last three episodes, this happened right after the marketing guy with the deep voice and shiny shoes took a severance package instead of a demotion. So they assigned a new person to his role, this time a woman. And during my first meeting with this new head of marketing, I got looked at in the eye a lot. Now let me refresh you a bit of background. I worked on a team of four engineers. I was the only woman. Our bigger product team in the company probably consisted of about 20 to 25 people. And I can think of maybe two other women in that group. So it was a lot of guys. But after she transitioned into the new role, she came out for an introduction to our product and we had an all-day meeting. Throughout the day, she made eye contact with me consistently. I have definitely noticed men not making eye contact with me, and I found myself looking out the window or down at the desk because I didn't feel like part of the conversation. When that new head of marketing looked at me, a lot, I felt part of it. I felt like I mattered. I was more confident and willing to talk and discuss. Such a small thing with such a huge impact. All right, back to the main topic. So in general, women do like to know the right answer. We like to have rules and understand what it takes to get what we want. I definitely don't have all the right answers, but there are four that have made a significant change to my life as an engineer recently. 
Number one, the first answer is that you should always be valued for your strengths that you bring to a team. What that means, though, is that you need to know your strengths. So take some time to learn about yourself. Take the strengths test. Take the personality test. Read the silly articles on what your personality would do in the Hunger Games and what your spirit animal is and what Disney character you are. My Briggs-Myers personality type is INFJ. In the Hunger Games, I would instantly partner up with someone and run and hide, and then when we were found, I'd volunteer to die to save the other person. My spirit animal is a wolf, and my Disney character is Pocahontas. On the strengths test, I'm futuristic, I'm an achiever, and I'm individualistic. Understanding these things about myself let me understand why I respond the way I do in stressful situations, and why I may or may not feel fulfilled in a job. Understanding these things helped me get through that career crucible I talked about in the last three episodes. And most of all, understanding these things made me realize what I can bring to a team that others might not. During interviews, one-on-ones with the boss, and performance reviews, it gives you a framework. It does take time, but it will be very worthwhile. Number two. The second answer I have for you is to have a group. I signed up to be part of a collective wisdom group through SWE, the Society of Women Engineers. They paired up six of us who were all around the same point in our careers. We meet online every other week or so for an hour and talk about all sorts of things, general life events, how we feel at work, tips and tricks for success. It's the first time I've been surrounded by people who get it. And it's a time where I don't feel judged. I can say exactly how I feel, and I know it will have no negative impact on my job. Spending this one hour every other week or so is so powerful. And I'm quiet and introverted. Doing something like this was terrifying. Meeting with strangers and talking about what it's like to be a female engineer was very outside of my comfort zone. But I took a leap of faith, and it has turned into exactly what I needed. Number three, keep a list of accomplishments. I honestly have a Word document on my work desktop titled Accomplishments, and every time I get something done or have a winning moment at work, I open it up and I add it to the list. It can be big things or little things. Items like, I got everyone to agree on my justification, or I completed the verification of the product, or I made a suggestion in a meeting, even I nailed that PowerPoint presentation, anything that you do. I think sometimes when we feel out of place at work, it becomes so easy to lose sight of what value we bring and what we're good at. I know that when I was struggling after the retention bomb, no matter how many compliments or thanks my boss gave me, I still felt inadequate because I couldn't get over the frustration of not belonging and not feeling like I was in an equitable environment. But when I came to interview for my new job and I started talking about all the things I did, I realized a lot more of my value. But we shouldn't only reflect on our accomplishments when we're trying to prove it to someone else. We should reflect on them regularly to keep sight of who we are and what we add. So try it out. Create a list and start keeping tabs on how awesome you are. Number four, keep in touch with your cheerleaders. Every so often in your life, you come across people who just believe in you, who care about you and your future for some reason. Hold on to those people. When I was in grad school, I took a product development course, and for whatever reason, that professor saw something in me. 
He loved the project I did for the class and took a bit of personal interest in my future plans. When I was trying to figure out which first job to take, I got his input on my decision. Since completing the course, he has had me in to speak to his other classes every semester. He's linked me up with other people in my sort of startup world. He still encourages me to do something with the project I did for his class. And this guy is a venture capitalist with 35 years of real-world experience. He's the only professor that's ever done that for me. For whatever reason, we just clicked, and that sort of cheerleader is rare. I think we probably only get a few of these people in our lives. So keep track of those people, keep in touch with them, and thank them for their rah-rah shishkumba. So those are the main pieces of advice that have worked for me. I'd love to hear from you on any other pieces of advice that have worked for you. And last but not least, it's time for a shout out. This episode's shout out goes to Iceland. Iceland was already my favorite country, but they sealed the deal in the last couple of weeks. They became the first country in the world to make it illegal to pay women less than men. Not just the generic non-discrimination policy, like actually companies get in trouble if they cannot prove equal pay. Iceland became my favorite country after an incredible trip there last year. The scenery is a combination of breathtaking and overpowering, mixed with hints of whimsy and charm. The people are humbly refreshing and have the same sort of dichotomy. They are tall and beautiful, come off a bit stoic, but they have a great sense of wit and humor, balanced by a sort of, we're happy to help you if you ask, but we'll stay out of your way if you don't. After that trip, I did a bit more Googling about the country and found out they had quite the progressive women's movement. Their story is absolutely fascinating. I included a couple of links to great articles in the notes section of this podcast. Just for a highlight, essentially, Iceland had a huge financial crisis back in 2008, and the top three banks crashed in a matter of three days. One of the only surviving banks was one led by women and they had a different sort of risk perspective for investing. Iceland also did something most countries won't do. They put the bankers in charge of those that collapsed in jail. Iceland has since come back and has a fairly thriving economy, although I would venture to guess the tourism, although lucrative, has become a bit disruptive. Anyway, that story along with cultural shifts paved the way for women to feel empowered and continue to lead the country. Since then, they had a National Women's Walkout Day in October of 2016 to stand up for equal pay, and now they've enacted a law that actually makes it illegal to pay women less than men. I think the key to this law is that companies are required to submit audit reports to the government with their pay data, and they're fined if they do not meet the law. A hefty fine, too. So that's pretty cool, huh? So thanks, Iceland. All right, that does it for this episode of Resistics. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please share with your friends and please rate my podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And remember, together we can change this.